One thing I have to do uh, right away is to kind of mention the elephant in the room, and that is uh, Kobe Bryant. How many of you are bummed out by his death? Okay, yeah, that's like most of us. Um, Kobe Bryant kind of had a polarizing effect on people, uh, but most people in L.A. and Orange County loved him, and he is one of the greatest basketball players to have ever lived, certainly the greatest Laker to have ever played. Uh, He won five uh, NBA championships, multiple finals MVP, 18-time NBA All-Star, and even an Olympic gold medalist. Uh, But one of the reasons why I'm so heartbroken by this loss is because Kobe's second career was just getting started. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with his life after retiring from basketball, but he was just starting his second career as an author, as an entrepreneur, and even as a youth basketball coach for his daughter's youth basketball team, which makes... Uh, his loss even more heartbreaking because his daughter Gianna was with him uh, when the helicopter crashed. And he even won an Academy Award for an original short film that he had written. And uh, part of the reason why I feel so like um, attached to this is also because Kobe Bryant is very close to my age. He's only one year older than me. And forgive the pun, but he was kind of at the halftime of his life. He had kind of closed one season of his life, you know, playing professional basketball, and was just entering into the second half of his life, uh, which is pursuing all these other things. And it was looking, like, dramatically different from the first half of his life. All of us kind of experience this in one way or another, okay? Uh, maybe some of you are in the first half of your life still, okay? Maybe you're in your 20s or 30s, and you're still kind of figuring things out, okay? Maybe you're still figuring out your career. Maybe you're figuring out what it means to be a young woman, a young man. Maybe you're figuring out what it means to be a new couple or a new parent. But many of us uh, enter into the second half of life where it's not that we figured everything out, Okay, but we just kind of mellow, mellow out a little bit. We kind of chill, all right? And it has a lot less to do with producing all the time. Um, for me, uh, I, I just celebrated my uh, 40-year birthday a couple months ago. And uh, leading up to it, I was so deathly afraid of turning 40. All right, when I was 38 and 39, I was like kicking and screaming. I was like, I don't want to turn 40. And even when I was like 39 years old and like 10 months, I would still tell people I'm in my mid-30s. <laughs> and then now, I'm at the other side of that. Uh, now I'm 40, and um, it's actually not that bad. <laughs> and I'm actually looking forward to all the things that God has in store for me. You guys uh, just started this new series in the book of Jonah. And it's in today's passage, in Jonah 2... Jonah was precisely at this crossroad in his life. He was at the halftime of his life. I don't know exactly how old he was, okay? But it has less to do with age and more to do with the seasons of life. Jonah was kind of closing one chapter of his life and opening up a new one of his life. And while Jonah was in the belly of the beast, both literally and figuratively... (laughs) It forced him to reflect on the two halves of his life. It forced him to look back 
at the first half of his life and what he was like and his character and doing a lot of like self-reflection. And it also forced him to look forward to what was ahead. What was Jonah thinking when he was inside the belly of the beast? What must Jonah have been thinking when he was inside that giant fish? If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Jonah uh, chapter 2, but we're actually going to start from chapter 1, verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. And you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Do you remember the two halves of your life? Maybe you're in the second half of your life and you look back at the first half. It might have seemed like a long time ago. Or maybe you're just imagining what the second half of your life would look like. For me, I remember the first half of my life being a lot of consuming. I used to binge watch TV shows like nobody else. I used to consume so much information through Google, podcasts, and conferences. I used to buy and read books like they were nothing. And even food. (laughs) I even consumed food until I could barely move. That's when I knew I was done eating. But now, uh, things have kind of slowed down, and I don't want or even need to consume as much anymore. I definitely eat a lot less. <laughs> I just eat till I'm just satisfied. Uh, I, I like to read, but uh, I actually like journaling more than I like reading now. And instead of just consuming information through Google podcasts and conferences, I like to engage in uh, rich dialogues more now than ever before. I believe when Jonah was in the belly of the beast. He was at the halftime of his life, and he was not yet ready to move on to the second half of his life. Jonah wasn't ready to do what God wanted him to do, and more importantly, 
Jonah wasn't ready to be who God wanted him to be. When he was a young adult, when he was younger, he probably was arrogant. He knew all the answers. He was confident. He knew exactly what his life was going to look like. And it's funny when I talk to young adults, they're so sure of everything. <laughs> you know, when they're in their young, early 20s or mid-20s, uh, they have all the answers. And then they go through life, and then they're left with more and more questions. One of the things that I realized about the first half of life is that it is so much about doing and being productive and getting work done and doing as much as possible and being busy and busy and busy all the time. And then you enter the second half of life and things start to slow down and you start to do a lot more reflection and you have a lot more questions without answers and that's kind of okay because you focus more about who you are than what you do. You realize the contribution that you can make to this world is much more valuable by being the type of person that God wants you to be rather than going down a, li- a list of to-dos and, to- uh, and, and not-to-dos. And this is the first thing that I learned from Jonah in today's passage is that God is more concerned about who you are than what you do. God is more concerned about who you are than what you do. In today's passage, starting with verse 17, uh, there's an interesting word here. It says, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Okay, and that's in the NIV. God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. In the English Standard Version, it says that God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And in the Message Version of the Bible, it said God assigned a great fish to swallow Jonah. Very deliberate, right? Very purposeful. And what's even more interesting is that the root word for this, provided, appointed, or assigned, the same, it's the same root word that we have for manna, which is that heavenly bread that came for the Israelites to provide them with sustenance when they were wandering around in the desert. Okay, this is the same root word that we have for the word that is used to describe this fish. That swallowed Jonah. And this fish, what Jonah probably thought was going to be the instrument of death. He prob- when he was in the belly of the beast, he probably thought, oh, this is how I'm going to die. By being swallowed up by this fish. I'm going to die as fish food. Okay? What Jonah actually thought was going to be an instrument of death turned out, turned out to be an instrument of salvation. If you think about it, this fish actually served a few purposes, okay? One, uh, last week when, when you guys like, read from Jonah chapter 1, you, you discovered that Jonah was thrown into the water, right? And they, they were too far out into the sea to make it back to shore, right? So the first purpose that this fish provided was transport. <laughs> it actually carried him from the heart of the sea back to land for three days, right? And the other thing that it provided him with was air. I imagine there might have been like little pockets of air in that gross stomach <laughs> of the fish, okay, that like let him live for like three days, okay? It was probably really gross, right? And he was sitting in fish guts and like it literally said his head was wrapped in seaweed, right? It was a really disgusting scene, right? But it actually like let him survive for three days. 
But the last thing, and most importantly, the last thing that the belly of the beast provided Jonah with was sanctuary. Sanctuary. Jonah prays this very sincere and beautiful prayer when he's in the belly of this fish. This is where he prays to God. This is where he worships God. And this is where God encounters him. This is where God encounters him. Have you ever been in a situation that is so painful, that is so difficult, that you thought you were going to be at the brink of death? And when you look back at it, you realize that God used that season of your life to grow your faith. Sometimes the things that we understand or perceive to be an instrument of death, it turns out to be an instrument of salvation. It's times like when I get into this really intense fight with my wife. And then it's after the fight that I really understand her better. It's times when I'm trying to console my eight-year-old daughter who's crying her eyes out because of something that happened at her school that I really understand what's precious to her heart. It's the times when I come out of a very difficult situation is when I grab onto the things that are most important to life and faith. I got a chance to um, listen to Curtis's message from last Sunday, and there was this one line that he said that made me laugh out loud. (laughs) Jonah was supposed to be prophetic, but he turned out to be pathetic. Just because Jonah was a prophet didn't automatically make him holier than anyone else. God often calls those who have zero to little qualifications to carry out God's will, to show that it's all about God rather than us. I'm sure if you uh, ask Curtis if he thinks he's holier than anybody else, he'd probably say, yeah, I'm holier than everyone else. I'm just kidding. He wouldn't say that. Uh, He would certainly agree that just because we're pastors doesn't mean we're holier than anybody else. Sometimes it requires God using pathetic prophets... (laughs) like Jonah, just to show how powerful he is, just to show how great he is. Similarly, it requires us to be at the brink of death to truly appreciate life. When we feel like we have nothing, we look back and we realize that we had so much. The sincerity of Jonah's prayer really captures this truth. The scene that Jonah was in, it really reflected what was going on in Jonah's own life and in his own heart. The darkness of the deep sea reflected the darkness in Jonah's heart. The chaos of the waves mirrored the chaos in Jonah's mind. And Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh, really, because his heart was full of hatred and bitterness and anger. You see, Nineveh, historically, it was this giant ancient city in the Assyrian Empire. Okay? And the Assyrian Empire conquered the Israelites in 8th century BC. And so Jonah believed in the first half of his life that he was called to be a prophet to his own people, the Israelites. And that's it. 
right? Just like many of the prophets before him. He believed that his life was supposed to be, to be a prophet just for the Israelites. And then when God called him to go to Nineveh to preach salvation in that city to people that he hated, he went the opposite way. So you could kind of understand why Jonah did what he did, right? His heart was full of anger. His heart was full of bitterness and hatred toward these Ninevites. But it was more than just God wanting to save the Ninevites. God really wanted to save Jonah through this act. Oftentimes, we take God's commandments, right? And we often think about, like, the product, okay? Like, especially if you're in the first half of your life, you think about the people that you're affecting rather than how God wants to transform you through this command that he's giving you. Okay, a prime example of this is forgiveness, right? Oftentimes, like, when we think of God telling us to forgive our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, right? Uh, We just think about that other person, right? Like, we might not want to forgive because that person doesn't deserve it. But often what we don't realize is that like God actually is giving us that command to forgive our enemies because he wants to change us. Okay, that is actually more important than us forgiving our enemies. Okay, it's, so whatever that other person is experiencing, whether that person even wants forgiveness or not, God still commands us to forgive them because he cares more about our heart. He cares more about the forgiver's heart. And so when God was giving Jonah this command to go to Nineveh, to go to his enemies, and to love them, and to preach salvation to them, God was actually doing it for Jonah's sake, as well as for the Ninevites' sake. Because God is more concerned about who you are than what you do. And out of bitterness, and out of hatred, and out of anger, Jonah disobeyed. And because his heart was full of prejudice and hate and bitterness, this caused him to disobey. Which is the other thing that we can learn from Jonah's example, is that disobedience is often a result of a bitter heart. Disobedience is often a result of a bitter heart. In uh, verse 7 of chapter 2, in Jonah's prayer, he said, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Have you ever been in a situation where you you go so hard in life and you go so fast in life that something forced you to abruptly stop? Perhaps you got really sick. Maybe you got into some sort of accident. Maybe you got some sort of unfortunate injury. These are some of life's ways to force us to stop, to rest, and reflect. This is precisely the situation that Jonah was in. He was trying to run away from God's call, and uh, he was in this boat, and he, he wasn't even trying to hear what God was telling him to do. And one of the funny things that I found out about uh, from uh, reading last week's passage in chapter 1 is that when Jonah was in the boat in this crazy storm, right, uh, what he decides to do is to take a nap. (laughs) 
in the middle of this crazy storm. That's how much he's trying to like not listen to God, right? He's just trying to ignore God, right? And he's in this situation that kind of forced him to do nothing but reflect. He got thrown overboard. He's, he's in the sea. He got swallowed up by this fish. And he's in this fish for three days and three nights. And it forced him to reflect back on his life. And as he is in the belly of this beast, he prays this genuine prayer of repentance. And I truly believe it is genuine. Because Jonah came to this place in his life when he had absolutely nothing. Jonah's life was ebbing away. He came to that Jesus moment, that moment of enlightenment, that moment of clarity, when he remembered the Lord and acknowledged God, and every blessing in his life was from God. Jonah truly believed that he was going to die. Jonah was nearing the end of his life, and in those last few moments, he remembered the thing that was most important to him, God. It wasn't the blessings of God. It wasn't the gifts of God. It was God himself. He remembered God, worshiping God in the temple. And he was beginning to let go of bitterness, of anger, of hatred. When uh, Pastor Curtis informed me that you guys are going through the book of Jonah, I just thought it was so hilarious because um, I think Jonah is the character in the Bible that I relate to the most recently. Uh, I feel like for much of my life, God has a plan for me, and then God tells me that this is what he wants me to do, and then I run away in the opposite direction. (laughs) When I was in high school and all throughout college, I knew that God wanted me to go into ministry. I knew that God wanted me to be a pastor, right? And I said, nope. I'm going to just like run away in the opposite direction. And through a series of circumstances, God kind of forces me to become a pastor. And then I actually end up really enjoying it. And God provides for everything that I need. And I came to this place, like after doing, being a pastor for like 15 years, I came to this place where like, okay, I think I'm okay with being a pastor now after 15 years. Uh, and then God gives me this command uh, a couple years ago to start a new church. I'm like, uh, I didn't sign up for this, okay? And so I run away in the opposite direction. I get this job at this, like, established church, right? And um, I'm trying to do ministry the way that, like, God designed me to do, and I realize, like, it's not working. I can't really create the kind of ministry that I want uh, in this, like, older established church that I was serving at at the time. And so through a series of circumstances, God forces me to start a new church. (laughs) And it's kind of like God's way of sending my own giant fish to spit me up and vomit me back out where I'm supposed to be. And God has a funny way of doing this. Now, so in many ways, I feel like Jonah in in more ways than one. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction of Nineveh. You see, in the first half of his life, Jonah was a Jewish prophet, and he believed that he was called to the Israelites. He had this plan of what his life was supposed to look like, and it didn't align with God's plan. And so when God told him, no, I actually want you to go and preach to the people that you hate, 
and love them. That was not a part of Jonah's plan. But that was certainly part of God's plan. And it really took Jonah first and foremost to have a change of heart before he could genuinely obey. In verse, four, in verse 6, it says, To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. And then later on in verse 9, Jonah says, I, With a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. With a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Jonah came to this place where he was letting go of bitterness, of hatred, of anger, and coming to this place of gratitude. When he was at the brink of death, he realized how much he had. And his heart was beginning to be filled with gratitude. And this gratitude led him to obedience. Obedience is often a result of a grateful heart. This is the kind of obedience that God loves. This is the kind of obedience that God desires for his people. Now, can you obey God's command without a grateful heart? Absolutely. You could obey God's command out of like obligation or duty or maybe guilt. But that's not necessarily what pleases God. What pleases God is obedience out of a grateful heart, with glad and sincere hearts. This is the kind of obedience that God loves. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, I'm going to read from the beginning of, uh, actually, verse 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. Always seek to do good, to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In closing, I want to share something a little personal, if I may. Um, At my church plant, uh, we try to focus a lot on spiritual and emotional health. Um, do we, we have a picture of my group. This is our uh, launch team. Hey, that's from our Christmas party recently. Um, and I think a lot of that maybe the, the, the focus on like spiritual and emotional health is um, I, I try to lead by example because I kind of came from a broken, dysfunctional family. And so I'm always trying to work on my personal emotional health. And so I've been in and out of therapy for like maybe seven or eight years. I first started when my wife and I went to go see a couples therapist to strengthen our marriage. And I realized I was hogging up most of the time by talking about myself. And so after nine months of couples therapy, we took a little break. And then I went back to see a therapist on my own. And I've been kind of doing that like uh, kind of on and off for the past like seven years. And it's been immensely helpful. The past two months, though, I've been doing this kind of unorthodox form of therapy where it's, it's group therapy. And uh, 
my previous psychologist at the time, she invited me to be a part of this group. And so it's me and her and then like six other women. So uh, the first couple weeks we were doing this, it was really uncomfortable. Um, uh, but after maybe like two or three weeks, uh, you know, we learned to trust each other. And then now we like share a lot. Like we're very, very vulnerable and candid with each other. And um, it's, it's a 10-week course, right? And so uh, after about like six weeks, I had to take a break because uh, our church plant and I, we s- serve dinner on, uh, we, we meet on Monday nights, right? And this one particular Monday night, we were serving dinner at this charity called Family Promise, which provides homeless families with food and shelter um, until they can find permanent housing and a steady job. And so this, I skipped therapy one Monday night to serve dinner for these homeless families, and uh, a, a part of me felt really weird about that that I was skipping therapy to help out these like, homeless families. And then the following week, I went back to therapy. I went back to that group session. And the psychologist asked us an interesting question. She said, uh, are any of you experiencing resistance to this work that you're doing? And then I immediately said, yes, I'm, I'm experiencing resistance. And she said, why? And I said, well, I feel kind of guilty. I feel guilty that I'm doing therapy because I feel like it's a first world problem. I think it's a privilege that I'm in therapy while last week we're buying dinner for these homeless families in Glendale who like, don't have anywhere to live, right? And, um, and so I, I feel very torn and like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I was just being really honest with her. And she said something really interesting. She said, the reason why you empathize for those families is precisely because you're becoming emotionally and spiritually healthier. People who are emotionally unhealthy, people who are bitter, who are angry, whose heart are full of hatred, they are completely callous to the needs of the world. It is those who are spiritually and emotionally healthy who empathize and and care for those who are in need. When I take care of myself, I'm learning that I become more gentle, more sensitive, and more kind to others. I think in many ways, probably subconsciously, this is part of the reason why we're trying to start a new church. We, if we want to be a spiritually and emotionally healthy church that will naturally become sensitive to the needs of our community. Our four core values are biblical, relational, open-minded, and service-oriented. Biblical, relational, open-minded, and service-oriented. We cannot practice those values genuinely if we are not emotionally and spiritually healthy. And ironically, this is the kind of values that young adults want. I don't know if you could tell, but like most of our church plant, they're mostly in their 20s. We have maybe two other people who are 30, exactly 30. And then uh, we actually have a few teenagers as well, which is kind of surprising. <laughs> um, and I don't think young adults, for the most part, want a cool church. They want a warm church. They want a warm church that has heart, that is genuine, that's full of love. That's actually what young adults want. <laughs> 
They're way past the, oh, it has to be cool stage. And my prayer for my church plant and for all of us is that as we become more emotionally and spiritually healthy followers of Christ, we will naturally become more aware of the needs of our friends, of our family, of our colleagues. That we will begin to see those who feel invisible. That we will hear the voices of the voiceless. That our hearts would break with those who are heartbroken.